The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm happy to have you with me today, and you can go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America, where you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. If you're new to the show, every interview is on the host page, too. I'd love to know what you're particularly enjoying, how you found the show, and what draws you to the subject of transforming through grief. Today, I'm welcoming J. Dietrich Diet Stroh. Dietrich is an engineer by trade. He's headed up projects great and small and managed the Marin Municipal Water District in the midst of one of the worst droughts on record. I certainly do remember that drought. What ex- that experience was the basis for his first book, The Man Who Made It Rain, co-written with Michael McCarthy. He founded Stuber Stroh Associations, a civil engineering firm that grew into CSW Stuber Stroh Engineering Group in Nevada, California, with offices in Sonoma County as well as Sacramento. He's a director of the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District, a member of the California State Earthquake Committee, and he sits on the board of directors of the Bank of Marin. He's active in the community and he sat on many statewide and national boards. In his spare time, and how does he have any with all that, he can be found working in his shop on wood projects, restoring cars, and tending to the garden, as well as spending time with friends and family. He lives in Marin County with his present wife. His second book, Three Months, A Caretaker's Journey from Heartbreak to Healing, tells the story of his wife's three months from a cancer diagnosis to her death and offers an inside view of caregiving. Welcome, Deet. Hi, hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to. Um, let's start with this sentence from the preface to your book. It's like getting in the he- hit in the head with a hammer. Uh, <laughs> Well, it really does. It really has. That's exactly what, you know, obviously he didn't get hit in the head, but that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. And one thing that stuck out to me about that, one thing that stuck with me, is just how very physical these experiences are. You know, that's that's not literally true, but I'll bet it did sort of physically feel like a blow. Well, <clears throat> yeah, and, and the... Darn thing about it, when we were told that she had these tumors on her pancreas and then throughout her whole abdominal cavity, we we had read enough about pancreatic cancer that we knew that this was this was very very serious and and basically 
life-threatening. Uh, so uh, our, our immediate reaction was starting to cry. We hugged each other, cried, and what was neat, there was a little nurse in the room, a little lady, she was just happened to be little, um, was hugging us too. So uh. the three of us were all hugging each other during, when, this all, when this came down. And Of course, the then talking with the doctor later and <clears throat> well, how much time she had, um, he said maybe 9 to 11 months or 12 months worth of life with, with chemo, well, it didn't work out that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that can be very fast, I know. I know I know some about that illness, and I know it can be quite fast, as it was for her. So right. so you're, you're busy living a, what sounds from your book like quite a pleasurable life together. Oh, yeah. And, and that just sort of drops in the middle of it completely by surprise. What, what was it like before that? Can you talk a little about your life, the life that it dropped into? Um, I mean, our life, our, Margaret, my life. The, mm-hmm, the, your life, uh, your life was, before it was, that. It was, we, summing it up, I think we really kind of thought the same way about a lot of different things, even though politically we're on both ends of the world. But that didn't bother us one way or another. There was a lot of humor. A lot of love, a lot of um, <clears throat> enjoyment of things to do together, from the garden to traveling to whatever. And um, it was just a wonderful 23 years, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, and I think that was the, the hard part. And it was the funny part about the whole issue of her dying so quickly was that everybody in the family thought I'd be the first one to go. And um, obviously I'm still here. Yeah, so, were you were were you older than she? I'm just a year older. She was just 70, a year older. So why did they think you would die first? Well, just curious. <laughs> I think I think it came down to the fact that I had uh, my aortic valve replaced uh, 10, 13 years ago, and I have a pacemaker, and and uh, everybody thought every time I see somebody, they say, "Well, how's your heart?" Oh, uh, I see. And I think they just assumed that I'd keel over one day, and that'd be the end of it. Uh huh. But it didn't. Life is full of those surprises. Oh, I think so. And um, yeah. I feel better today, probably, than I did five years ago. That's that's uh, very surprising to notice, huh? When yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you especially given having such a blow in your life, uh, some people might uh, not me, but m- some people might imagine that would kind of plow you under, but it didn't. No, no. And I think, in my case, um, being an engineer, I'm, I'm always looking at things as a kind of a practical basis, but obviously there was an emotional thing. And I think what, what helped me through a lot of this stuff early on after Margaret died was that in the evenings I would just start writing notes about what went on. And um, I don't know why I did that, but it just made me feel better. And, of course, I cry while I'm doing that. And um, a number of months after starting to do that, I, I um, thought, I wonder if I put this into a book. It might help some other people get through it and understand that they're not alone. And that's how the book came about. But doing that and producing the book and all that literally got me through the grieving process, although it's still there in many respects. Um, it got me through it. And... One day I woke up one morning, nine months after Margaret died, and said, I feel funny. 
I wonder why I feel so funny. And all of a sudden I realized that the emptiness and the pain was gone. Not the so it was that dramatic for you, huh? Yes, that that, you, really that you were deeply in it and obviously welcoming it. You were writing about it. You were crying. You were, yes. you know, allowing it. And then one morning you woke up and it was different. It was different. Totally different. Mm-hmm. And that didn't mean that Margaret was gone completely. She's still there. I think about her every day. And um, the <clears throat> writing the book and producing that and talking with a lot of people about the book and about what I went through... All helps. The other neat thing that I found, and I always have been a, a person who hugs a lot, and I just would hug anybody, people on the street, so to speak. And it was just, you know, it was just a reaching out and talking with people and listening to them, and, and um, it was it was a way of handling this issue. So you you were able to, um, you know, I do think even though there's a certain solitary quality to grief you know you feel like you're alone in some ways people that are well connected generally do better it sounds like you're pretty well connected in the world oh yes 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 and we have as as you mentioned earlier we have an engineering firm here and we've got a number of people and one of the neat things that occurred maybe two months after margaret died one of the women engineers who doesn't talk much walked in my office and kind of motioned me to stand up, and she walked over with to me and gave me a big, huge hug, and then walked out. Never said a word. Hmm. I'll never forget that. It was just one of those little human things that reaching out to somebody, and <clears throat> yes, I am well-connected as far as friends and family and workers, bees here, and all the rest. It's, uh, it was a help. And I imagine, you know, it's it, that... That experience you're telling me about, her kind of angel moment, just giving you that warmth and human connection without any expectation, um, those things do stick. Oh, yes. Because she didn't need you to be any different. No, no, not at (laughs) all. No. And there was no, there was no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There There was no embarrassment or anything else. It was just kind of a human thing to do. Yes, and I'm guessing that uh, maybe liberates you to do those kinds of things when, when someone in your world is having a rough time too. Oh yeah, that's a, that. You know, that is interesting. You bring that up because one of the fellows here, one another, one of the engineers, he lost his brother uh, sometime after. Well, it was about maybe a year ago. And so I went over to him and I said, "Geez, I'm really sorry about your brother." Blah blah blah. Would you stand up? I'd like to give you a hug. And he says, I don't hug people. And I, then there's a, a lady, there's a planner that works for us. And she was she sits near him. And he, I said to Robin, why don't you hug him? He won't hug me. And he said, I won't hug anybody. I don't even want to hug Robin. Hmm. So people do this stuff differently. They do, for sure. But, uh, you know, I don't hear anything in it that you regretted offering. No. Not at and all. and that may have been a big help to him to have it offered, even though he refused it. Well, I did. I think you're right because a couple of days later he came by and for some reason he said thanks and walked away. Ah, uh, so, so that, that that that's one thing I see that changes for a lot of the people I'm talking with on the show a kind of liberation from hesitation to reach out. Right. When people are having a hard time. Yes. 
because you know how much it means when people do, uh, even if they don't get it perfect. Right. Well, the, yes. and, and there's no there's no set rules, so to speak. There's no there's, there's a lot of different ways of going through this thing, and and that's one thing I learned that when I talk to various people and how they handle it, they handle it on their way, and it works for them. For me to say you ought to do it this way or that way, the next way. That, that that I didn't do and I wouldn't do. Well, I'm interested too that your book kind of exemplifies what what you're talking about that you're willing to have your feelings about what's happening and you're also practical because the book rotates a kind of um for lack of a better word memoir chapter. Uh, your your story chapter with kind of what you've learned that might be of help to other people. Right, right. I thought that was an interesting way to go about it because, of course, I read a lot of books uh, that are combinations of, um, you know, stories about grief and help for grievers. And um, I don't know if I've read one that rotates chapters in quite that way. I thought that worked worked well. Well, it, that's, we, we did it on this pur- purpose because just to read about what I went through and the, and the, and the, the sadness and all that stuff, uh, it's that, that I've read enough books, too, myself, and some of them do that, and, and you kind of put the book down after you get halfway through it because you don't want to really read any more about it, so to speak. This way, it allows people to get away from what, what I was having to me and, and and maybe learn some information as to if, in fact, they get into the same situation that they know what to do. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple thing of writing notes when you're talking to a doctor. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, um, I feel like as if that's sort of a um, reflection of you uh, in the sense that you are so practical that maybe for another person... It might be different, but for you, um, you know that's that sense of I've got to I've got to be offering something, not just telling the story. Yeah, right. Uh, that might be very particular to you too. Yes, that, that, that and you're probably right about that. I've never really thought of it on that basis, but that's probably because my background and my education and the way I grew up was, was solution oriented. Get to the bottom of it. Let's find an answer. Let's let's see what we can do about it. This is the most frustrating thing about this whole issue of taking care of somebody when they're dying is that all you can do is go day to day and, and do what you need to do to get them through it and get yourself through it. And uh, you know you know what the ultimate answer is going to be, but you don't want to see that happen. But it's it's going to happen. But you you start just working on a day to day basis. That is something that that really um, affected me a lot because, of course, you may you may know that my wife died, but she was ill for ten years, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a long learning curve. Right, right, right. How did you catch up so fast? <laughs> um, the reason I giggle is that I don't know if I ever did, if I still am or am. Um, because it's on a daily basis, you're learning something new. And because she went through, not only did she have the chemo, um, pardon me, not only did she have the pancreatic cancer, but turned out she had the blockage in her bowel and that had to be bypassed. So I had to learn how to 
to take care of the bag and all that stuff. And and then when she was in the hospital, she got a staph infection, so she was back in the hospital. And so there was a lot of different things occurring, and almost on a minute-by-minute basis that uh, what's happening here, what's going on there, and trying to figure it out. Luckily, we had hospice, and luckily we had enough people around us that could answer our questions when 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 they when they, when they came up. But um, I don't know. I, I, I just I just jumped right into it. And you were you sounded quite realistic, even though you're a problem solver. It sounds as if you could accept that not all problems can be solved. You went about solving the ones that could be. That's is it. that a is that a, a truthful statement? That's that's, that's 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 the right statement because ultimately I knew I couldn't change the course, even though I always had that word hope. For even to the almost to the day she died, that some miracle was going to occur, which was obviously wasn't going to happen, and uh, because you always have that that hope, but you also know from a practical standpoint that that uh, she isn't she is dying and. And I'd already gone through a number of deaths, both my parents and both my sisters. So uh, I'm somewhat familiar to watching people, you know, pass on and go through that process and what I call the dying process. And and so you become not steeled to it, but you become, okay, what can we do to make that person comfortable? Mm-hmm. Were there deaths before hers? Yes. So the um, my sisters. They they died a couple of years before, or one of them did, and then the other one was a little further on. But then my parents had died in the eighties. So you you had uh, I do think we continue to learn, don't you? Oh yes, no uh, question about that. <laughs> that, no question. that each time we learn something more. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. You know, and one of the things that surprised me was that um, my stepdaughter was with me for a while, and and. Uh, she had brought along her significant other, and, and the day that Margaret died, I got on the phone and got a hold of the mortician to come to pick Margaret up, and all the stuff he needed to go through, uh, boom, 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 I knew that there had to be a death certificate, so we had to get mm-hmm. out of the hospital, and all this stuff. You were right on track, huh? Right on track, and then I, after it was all over, Margaret was gone, um, Steve said to me very simply, this guy's about the same age I am, he said, how would you know how to do all that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you learned. learned. It's time for a break, Deet. So Pardon we'll be back in okay. a few minutes to, to talk more. And listeners, you can you can go to my host page, Good Grief at Voice America, or my website, www.weatheringrief.com. And I'm available for individual and couples therapy in California and for speaking and consulting nationally and internationally. You can learn more about Dietrich at threemonthsbook.blogspot.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before... 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can go to my website or host page, and you'll find all the links to social media and my email. Today, I'm here with Dietrich Stowe, an an engineer turned expert in caring for someone with cancer. He developed those skills caring for his wife in the three months from her diagnosis with pancreatic cancer to her death. I wanted to start this segment Dietrich, talking about you as a caregiver, because I noticed um, you had several different messages which might not uh, obviously fit together. For instance, uh, you were saying you didn't want to burden her with with a lot of your emotions, Uh, but then at other times you would cry together. And um, I was glad to see both in the book. Well, you know, that there's a there's a constant judgment call going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, I know. And that's, it's interesting how that, that, that comes about. But the crying together clearly was early on. That's more, was more happening then because of the shock, because of what we knew was going to happen, what we thought we knew was going to happen. But later, um, I didn't want her because of how she was feeling, and she was obviously feeling worse and worse and worse. and She was on methadone and painkillers and all kinds of stuff, and I just didn't want to see her or my emotions, even though, even though you know, she would say things, I'm sorry, I'm sorry type of stuff. And, I, and, and of course, I went in the other room and cried. But, um, you know, 
you kind of settle down into a routine, so to speak. It sounds screwy, but you do. You kind of get away from the actual very severe emotions. It's still there, but you're not on the edge of reality when it comes to crying. Yeah, well, there's a lot to do, and you're very busy. Oh, God. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, Lord. <laughs> I remember saying to somebody, I'm going to chew on all this later. Uh, you know, there I, there was a sense I had to just, you know, and if I got too far out of whack, I'd go away for a day or two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but how do you think, because I do think, you said in another point, it's so important for caregivers to take care of themselves. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, you know, and, and I would say I learned so much about taking care of myself through taking care of someone I loved. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's not everybody gets that. Uh, some people, you know, really frazzle themselves. How did you take care of yourself? How did you keep that in the mix? Because obviously, I think it was mostly you and your stepdaughter taking care of your wife. Is right. that right? That's right. That's right. So that's very demanding. Two to one is not a high ratio when someone's no. that sick. I know. So how did, how did you take care of yourself? Well, first place, what I did is I started kind of going off the edge of reality, so to speak. I couldn't sleep at night. I was drinking too much type of stuff, not eating right. And I just said to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute, you better get a hold of yourself. And um, started turning all that around, number one. Number two... The, because of all the activities, and Donna, my stepdaughter, and myself, we would have somebody come in and watch her, and uh, one of my daughters or somebody like that, and we'd go out and have dinner. Um, we would, we'd spend a lot of time in the evenings when Margaret was sleeping, to uh, because we're both history buffs, and she's actually a history teacher at Vermont University, uh, and... Uh, so we talked about history and uh, totally enjoyed our conversations, that type of stuff. So we kind of moved away from the issue, yet when we heard a moan or a, uh, you know some rustling or whatever was going on in the other bedroom, we would get up and go see what's going on or maybe give her medicine and, or some food. She didn't eat much, but something. Um, so you start grabbing, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, it can't fall apart on this. So you do, you kind of logically start putting things back together again at least i did and, yeah uh, and and again that would be kind of true to your to your personality huh i think so i think but so. but there is also you really want at least for me i really really wanted to do the best job i could possibly do oh yes uh you know um when you love someone that much you want them to have Whatever comfort you're able to provide, yeah? Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. But there's another piece to that, too, and that is, I mentioned earlier, Martin and I had a great sense of humor between the two of us, and we, 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 we could giggle a lot with, on stuff that was going on just on, on the moment's notice, so to speak. And that occurred. Uh, things would come up that she would say something to me, and you're not doing that right when I was cleaning her bag one time, and... And I just looked up at her and I said, <laughs> well, then you want to do it? No, 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 you do it, you do it. You do it. Go right job. ahead, huh? <laughs> no, I, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I actually got acquired a sense of humor uh-huh. during my wife's illness. 
Uh, I'm a much funnier person now. It sounds like you had a head start on me on that one. But uh, there's some way you've got to keep your humor um, as a way of counterbalancing. Yes. Yes? Definitely. And it's also a very uh, heartbreaking, difficult situation and also sometimes very funny. Yes. Oh, yeah. A lot of little things went on. But one of, one of, one of my favorite stories, three days before she died, the, we, had a, we had some come in to help uh, Donna when they were sponging her down in, in the bed. And, of course, she hadn't any clothes on. So I just wandered into the bed. And I'm at the end of the bed looking at her. And uh, Margaret pokes her head up and says simply to me, what are you doing in here, you dirty old man? And I <laughs> said, I'm being a dirty old man. <laughs> and then, you know stuff like that went on constantly and stuff would go back and forth I'd push her out in the wheelchair out to look at her flowers and what have you and we lived kind of on a hill and I would kiddingly say I think I'll let you go down the hill here on the driveway and she'd no you're not no you're not no 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 you you, you want to kill me before I die <laughs> uh huh so I mean you so know. she w- she stayed uh, present uh, pretty, uh, quite a while into the three months, huh? Yes, yes. Able to, because I think what what I hear in what you're saying is that um, there's a kind of intimacy that happens. That very, very definitely. That is that is different from other sorts of intimacy. No, there has to be because of the, because of how you're taking care of the person. Uh, you know, literally, uh, there are taking care of the, the bodily functions, whatever she can do and whatever I can help with, the type of thing. So you're, you're, you're yes, no question about it. And um, so you, you know, and I once said to her, she was sitting on the potty and I was doing the, the bag, and I looked up at her and I said, you ever think we thought we'd ever be doing this? And she looked at me, kind of a strange look, and just simply said, no, I never thought we would. Yet she was the most fastidious woman in the world. She, you know, her, her, how do I put this, her bathroom habits was all on her own, no one was around type of thing. But she didn't, she was kind of, she wasn't uh, uh, shy or anything, but, the, but the, it changes, totally changes. But, but a bit modest. Yes, yes, no uh-huh. question, no uh-huh. question. And so, in some way, she was also a realist. She she surrendered that, yeah, uh, because she needed to to let you take care of her. That's right. Yes, that's right. And that and that's an act of such trust, I think. Yes, yes. Did you experience it that way? Yes, no question about it. She knew fully well that I wasn't going to do something stupid or wrong or whatever, in both both ways. And so it's it's. You, you, you actually become closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's a, just from my observation, sometimes when one person or the other is not willing to surrender, that doesn't happen. I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I, I obviously never experienced that, but, um, but uh, I know. I, I think you're probably right. I've observed that with with people before, and that's so painful because you're still the caregiving still has to happen, yes. but it's kind of under duress in a way that I don't think you're describing. You're you're describing a kind of um, 
mutual um, connection and respect in which surrendering your own care uh, works. Yes. Yeah. Makes sense, yes? Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll give you an example of what you just said, and that is my mother and father. My mother was um, somewhat uh, uh, mentally, um, she didn't have Alzheimer's, but she had problems. And uh, dad had her home, and uh, she was, had had slight strokes, so he had her, and he had to, she, she, she had to put a catheter in her for, for urination. Mm-hmm. She would fight him, so he eventually ended up tying her down first. And so she was; she didn't want that to happen. He, she wasn't didn't want him to do that. Mm. But he did. And and probably against her strong uh, objections, it. huh? That's it, right on. Yeah. So that's a that's a kind of gift Margaret gave you, right? right. Is uh, she teased you, but she didn't fight you. Tease me. That's true. That's uh, she was good at that. Even if she was not sick. <laughs> was she was she pretty good at that before she was ill as well? Oh yeah, we did uh-huh. that to each other. Uh huh. Especially about politics because he was an unbelievable progressive, and I'm somewhat conservative. And and uh, she would she would tease him. Well, there you go again. You Republican gives me a bad time. And, you know that's not good. <laughs> And I say, well, if your dad wasn't so damn progressive, you know, you don't understand what I'm saying. And then she'd get mad at me. <laughs> That's an accomplishment, isn't it, to oh, be God. able to be that close with someone who has such different, because that's such a dividing line in our culture. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, so to be able to keep your humor about it and and um, your connection about it yeah. uh, was yeah. an accomplishment even before all this, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember we were having breakfast out one Sunday morning, and it was Obama and, and McLean were running against each other, and I made the mistake, and I use that word because it's what it was, and, and, and saying to her very simply, you know, let's do it. You don't have a candidate that has the experience of McCain and the charisma of Obama. She didn't talk to me for all day. <laughs> <laughs> you finally got you. You finally got under her skin, huh? That's right. Until <laughs> five o'clock, and I kind of put my head in the door in the kitchen, and I said, "You want to have a glass of wine?" And she says, "Yeah, I'll have a glass of wine." And then it was all over. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I hear in what you're describing, tell me if this captures it to a degree. It sounds as if you had quite similar values. Oh yes, no question. Despite different opinions, similar values. Yes. 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 We had the same values about money, about about food, about well everything. Uh-huh. Morals, whatever. Yeah. And we had fun in life. We did stuff together and, and uh, all over we don't went on more cruises than I don't think anybody has. Like, we did all this stuff. It was good good stuff. You were you were good uh, adult playmates, huh? There you go. You got it. <laughs> There's one other it. thing that I thought you really captured about the um about caring for someone who's ill, and that is all the boredom and waiting. Oh, Lord, yes. People don't know that that's such a big part of it. Yes. But it's huge. There's a lot of time where something is supposed to happen or might happen or will happen later, but you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Yep. Um, 
and and I I would have guessed that that would have been very hard on you as an action oriented person. Well, it was, you know what I did is I know this is going to sound stupid, but like for instance in the hospital, I think I read and then reread and reread all the all the bulletins that were on the the board on the wall, uh, you know, for nurses, new nurses, what they're supposed to be doing, all of this stuff. So you start doing little silly stuff of reading the same magazine over and over again, or or taking a book along, or bringing your laptop, or whatever it is, you start learning, okay, it's I'm going to, it's going to take time, and so forth and so on, and then you get, of course, get to know all the hospital personnel and personalities and doctors, and it goes on, 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 and, and you're always waiting. There's no question. And it's, it, first, it's difficult, but then you learn a bunch of little tricks. Like I say, you walk around the hospital and find an old magazine and reread it five times. Yes. As I was telling you, my mother's ill, and one day everything was taking forever, and she was very impatient, and I said to her, well, Mom, you're here with me. You know, we can talk. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got an iPad. You can read, you know. Right, right. But, but getting to that place where what's happening is okay to be happening, really yeah. hard to do, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yes, yes. No question about it. But you do, you do, you do, do things that you would never do, would do before or never done. And... To me, that seems as if, I don't know if you um, consider that something, you know, a, uh, an aspect of growth for you, but I know I appreciate being being able to kind of hang in there more than I used to be able to do. Well, well I think I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually, since Margaret died and having gone through it the way I did, <clears throat> uh, I'm... I, I, I'm more patient now, you might say. Um, not that I wasn't patient before, but I, I, uh, I'm willing to sit and, and wait. Uh, for instance, going to the doctor's office, and you often mm-hmm. you do. You sit there for 15, 20 minutes. So you just sit there. Want look at your, you look at your cell phone or do something or don't do anything. Just look at the people coming in and going and just remarking in your brain, look at that interesting person. Yeah. And there's kind of a no big deal quality there, <laughs> you know. Okay, here I am. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah that's what... a that's a relief in life, don't you think? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's like sitting in an airport, you know. Yeah, yeah. Thousands of people that walk by you. They look at look at that little one. Look at that fat one. Look at that skinny one. You know. Mm-hmm. We're ready for our second break. Okay. And, and when we come back, I want to talk about her death and your grief. Okay. Um. What, uh, yeah, and listeners, in these few moments, you can go to my host page, as I've said, goodgrief at voiceamerica.com, my website, and to uh, find out more about Deet and his book, you can go and go to three monthsbook.blogspot.com. Be right back. your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness if you think you've seen online tv before 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Dietrich Stroh, author of Three Months A Caretaker's Journey from Heartbreak to Healing. And I wanted to start this, uh, it's a little bit of a jump from what we were talking about before the break, but uh, there's a place in your book in the chapter uh, called Saying Goodbye that um, really captured me. After people left, the family went out for pizza. Following dinner, everyone was tired. I believe this was the day of her funeral or memorial. Yes, it was the memorial. Yeah, Uh, Everyone was tired and called it a night. I retired to our room, the room where Margaret and I had spent so many nights. I sat on the edge of the bed with a nightcap of sherry, trying to put the day into some sort of perspective. Failing that, I tried putting Margaret's death into a perspective that I could at least understand, because accepting it was far off in the future. But that night, no wisdom came. Instead, there were tears and questions and doubts. I don't know how long I sat there, unable to make sense of much and unable to move. Um, that's such a uh, a deep sharing about what that kind of moment feels like, the lostness of it. Um, and it sounds as if you kind of tried to do otherwise, but when you couldn't, you accepted that you couldn't. That's right. That's right. It. Um it was just like, it was very true what went on there. I was just sitting on that edge of that bed for a long time. <clears throat> I said, geez, I better go. i got to go to bed. And I would go to sleep. And nothing nothing came together for me. Nothing. It was like, well, I'll give you an example. When Mara was taken away, my two uh, uh, partners came over to say, to say hi to me and Consoled me, and they sat next on each side of me. <clears throat> we sat on a bench. <clears throat> pardon me. And um, I kept saying to him, "Now what do I do? Now what do I do?" So it's a, it's a, it's totally a heavy time. And even though that memorial service was a beautiful one, and the whole thing was beautiful, and the 
friends and family and everybody was just wonderful. It, it, it's still you're all by yourself. And I think that's one of the worst times for me was the four or five months while I, after Margaret died, just going to bed and no one's there. And you're by yourself. For sure. You're by yourself. And I know this is going to sound stupid, but just to be able to reach across the bed and pat her on the fanny, that wasn't there. Well, and and I do think that's something maybe uh, very particular about the loss of a of a spouse or probably a child is that the relationship's so physical. Yeah, right. Um, so that the loss of that is um, there's the loss of the person and there's a, a loss of the touch. Yes. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> that's this, this is one of the worst parts of this whole thing of grieving. The other thing that came to my mind when I was reading that is just how you go from being really incredibly, having very high demands on you, uh, doing, 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 caring, 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 you know, uh, a life very filled with that, and then suddenly it all ends, but not... You, most people pl- are involved in planning the memorial, so it kind of continues for that period. But that night, to me, also signifies the end of the work, the physical work of it. Yes, <clears throat> yes. That's did you good. did you feel that way oh, about yes. it? There was no kind question. Was when you say, <laughs> when you say, "What do I do now?" That's literal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've you've yeah. known what to do for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That, that you could go from high level of anxiety, high level of activity to zero. Mm-hmm. You don't really do that. One of the other things I did, I was actually semi-retired, and I was theoretically only working three days a week, <clears throat> and uh, I literally went back full-time just to keep busy, just to keep my mind in some sort of decent direction, just to do something. Now what do I do? This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I have heard from a lot of people, this might not be true of you because the work part of you seems um, particularly resilient, I guess I'll say. Yeah. But I've heard of a lot of people go to work every day and kind of sit there. No, no, no. You, you were busy, 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 oh, huh? Busy, busy, busy. And that, you know, literally my, what I do is I'm, I'm in a tremendous different activities almost on an hourly basis. And talking to different people involved, and I'm on seven boards of directors and all kinds of other stuff. So uh, I'm involved with different people all day long, and um, uh, so I'm just uh, I just didn't sit there. I, there were times I did, and then would sit there and think, and then the tears would come. Mm-hmm. But that that uh, that only happened in the evening when I was all by myself. Was that an unusual thing for you, or had you always had access to your tears? Oh yes, I, I always cried. Not that's a, a that's a that's a head start, isn't it? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> well, you know that I, it, it, it's just it's me. It's just who I am. I am. I'm. I'm uh, Margaret used to call me call me a romantic. I am a romantic, and um, things I see certain things let's say, on television or a movie or whatever, it, it hits me and, you know, the tears are there. Um, so it, was, it, it, it wasn't that one. It's just like the hugging. It was easy for me to just transition into this stuff, even though there was more of it. 
um, was that uh, what am, what do I want to know how did did you already have a, a lot of people around you that were welcoming of your emotional nature yes yeah so that probably helped as well oh yeah yeah I might have surprised a few folks but I think they all accept the fact what I was going through and that's the big part of it you know some people, it's difficult for them, very difficult to reach out to somebody like myself who lost somebody. Very difficult. So you yeah. almost have to reach out to them yourself, which I did. And um, I start talking to them, just start talking to them. And finally, you could just see their, their, their feelings open up inside of them. They, their, their, their faces opened up. They smiled. Um, and, and, you know, it was uh, kind of neat. And, and I think that's another piece where, for me, reaching out to people was very, very important. Very important. That helped. And I guess you are fortunate in that it sounds like you already had some skills in doing that because I do think, uh, you know, it, it can be very hard for people to reach out and say, I feel terrible. Well, um, yeah. Some people just have a real struggle with that, with showing that to others, and I do think that that brings a certain kind of suffering. I think because right. because you have no access to support. Well, that's true, and, and men are horrible at this. Men are just absolutely horrible at this. I mean, luckily, I have a partner or two partners that are un- unbelievably compassionate, and there's an awful un- Great respect between us, and uh, so that just fell into place. I'll give you an example. It's in the book. At the memorial, when the service was over, and we're all at my house, and everybody was eating food and doing whatever they were doing. As I walked in, my partner was standing at the back door with, with a glass of scotch. He says, I think you need this. Those are the little things that add up. Just simple and little, and I'm here. Right on. Right yeah, on. yeah. And and I'm expecting you to feel bad. I also hear that, you know, yes. in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should be feeling bad right now. And whether you are or not, that permission is wonderful, isn't it? Yes. You know, another little story that goes along with that. As you well know, I'm remarried. And my partner, one of my partners was the best, best man. And his little speech at the at the party, at the bridal, the uh, marriage party, he simply said, "I know this marriage is good because Deed started smiling again." Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I didn't really start crying. There. <laughs> mm. And that kind of leads to um, something I really did want to talk with you about. I'm also remarried. Uh huh. And um, for 17 or 18 years now, actually. suddenly married 17 or 18 years. And um, that transition, um, you know, I, I think my first wife actually literally said, don't waste the love, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have the love don't waste it but i know for a lot of people there's sort of a sense of um 
betrayal, maybe a little loyalty issue in in um, connecting with someone. Did did you experience any of that? Or oh or? yes, oh yes. It was it was really where it came from. Not so much my own family. In fact, very little from my own family, but uh, my, Margaret's family. Some of them. In fact, a, a brother-in-law said very simply to me, kind of outspoken son of a gun anyway, but he <laughs> says, well, what you, what you, you can't get married this quick. You've got to wait a couple of years. I said, where'd you get that idea? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be done. I said, who, who the hell wrote the book on that? And there was nothing written on that type of stuff. And how, how uh, Don and I finally got, or got together. We'd known each other for a number of years, and we used to sit together in, in meetings. And um, after a the pain and hurting was, went away. I was sitting in a meeting with her maybe a month later and screwed up my courage and asked her if she'd go out to dinner with me. She said, sure. She said, yeah, I'd love to. And there, here we are. So, And, and I think it does um, because, in fact, your relationship with that, it's not like breaking up uh, when someone dies. There's no rupture. There's no, you know, nothing bad happened except... The body failed. Right. And right. that can be a little bit demanding for the new person because well, it's not as if you want to get rid of Margaret. No. Not that you even could. No. Um, so what was that like for her, do you for, think? For Donna? Uh-huh. Um, interestingly enough, she knew all about the book because in the process of writing it. And um, she knew all about it. And she she thought it was a good idea to write it. She had never written or read any of it. She has read it. She um, got to know Margaret a lot better. Also, her sister read the book and got to know me better. Uh, so people learn from it, if you will, mm. from from what was going on. And and, and Donna very rarely has ever said, "Well, how did Margaret do this?" And if she does, I says, "I don't know. Remember." <laughs> I think it's history now. It's history. Why go back that way? Except that, uh, in a sense, she's saying she's kind of letting you know it's okay for Margaret to be a part of things. Right, right. That's true. You know, there's, I think it, it may be, maybe I'm just speaking from my experience, but I, I think it takes a generous person to marry someone who's lost a partner to death. Yeah, that's probably uh, true. Because that other person, you have an extremely different relationship with them. Oh, yes. You know, but it's, that person is still there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting we're talking about this because I, I'm, I'm just a stupid man and, and, and I don't really think beyond what, what's real. And so, we're, of course, she's living in the same house that Margaret and I built. But uh, uh, my younger sister, sister, younger daughter, said to me, "Dad, you've got to change the, the cover on the on the bed. You've got to change the, the, the bedroom around. It's mm-hmm. now Donna's bedroom, not Margaret's." And it yeah. never dawned on me. It never dawned you, on me at all. Yeah, I think that's actually we're we're out of time, and I think that's a great place to live because you're fully inhabiting your life now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to tell my... Uh, thank you really a lot for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I want to tell my 
my listeners about my guest next week, Sybil Lockhart. She's the author of Mother in the Middle, a biologist story of caring for a parent and child. And it's about her mother's Alzheimer's and her daughter's early lives and her experience. Uh, This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.